not just for additional trees, but also for like um, structures as well. You know, because we um, we view trees as little, well, we look at trees as little baby species or whatever. But of course, they're going to grow, you know, to um, you know, to outstanding or magnitude or whatever. Yes. And they're going to get much bigger. Um, and then there's a the question of the species. So, you know, we're such a weird place. We're kind of tropical most of the time. But then, bam, some kind of really bad cold front. And this year we had several go through. And let's not talk about how my friends and relatives who live up north, they're, they're, they just got snow this weekend yeah, yeah. In, in the end of April. Yeah. So um, I noticed around town certain palms were just really gone. And other palms, like the Chinese fan palms that I have, yeah. um, they're going to make it. Exactly. Well, again, like I say, some palm trees are much, they're much more hardy than others. But um, of course, um, when a homeowner when they purchase palm trees they, in Louisiana, they basically just purchase them, you know, for the look, and not necessarily for the hardiness. And um, you know, the storm that just, you know, the, the recent storm we had, you know, no one anticipated that, you know. So um, I would just advise people um, to go with like a hardier, like you know, sago. Um, type um, palm. Sago, uh, Chinese fan exactly. palm. <clears throat> the one that seems to have been hit really hard around town is the queen, queen palm, yes, right? Yes, yes, so that, maybe that's not a good one. Exactly. Well, basically you can look at whether it's a tree or a flower, and the darker the leaf, that's the more hardy the plant is, basically. Oh, and if you think of the, um, the color mm-hmm. tone on the um, queen palm, it's like a lighter green. Huh. And yeah. Yes. Huh, so that's the way you pick them if you go to the store exactly. and you look and the darker I mean, green is better. Hardy. I mean, that, that's, that's, the layman's, that's the layman's way to do it. You know, of course, mm-hmm. you can do research online and get all the specifics of it. But um, in addition to that, a lot of trees that um, the palm trees in Louisiana, you know, they aren't really native trees. So whatever year they were brought here, you know, someone saw the trees in a different city or state or whatever, and they kind of brought them here. But by nature, palm trees aren't intended to, like, grow in this um you know, um, well, there's that one palm that I, I see out in the woods sometimes, um, and we have one of them in the back of our property that when we first came here was no taller than you, yeah. and now it's uh, almost up to the roof line. And it's, um, what, do you, what are those palms called that are in the woods? Palmetto. They're Palmetto um, palms, yes, right? Okay, yes, they, exactly. They're natural to here. Yeah, they are, they are. But they're kind of scraggly. Yeah, they are. And like I said, I mean, you're going to have one or two that are, are native. You know, but I say for the most part, you know, like the queens, et cetera, et cetera, they are native. And people, you know, they plant them and they, you know, look for the instant gratification, basically. And mm-hmm. like I say, in over time, you know, you're going to have things such as what just happened with, um, with the weather. It's going to destroy the trees or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, you said online. Some people go online. Uh, where would you recommend people go online to get information? What's a, a good site that's not kind of funny well, baloney? Not the Louisiana Department of Agriculture. They have like a, a wealth of uh, information on there. I mean, if not, you can just um, type in um, tree health for a specific species. Yes. Oh. I mean, I, I use it myself a lot. You know, you never tree can, health. Yes, you know, you never can know enough or whatever. There was a big sto- there was a big story in the New York Times this weekend about trees. It was a, a book mm-hmm. that just came out about um, talking about trees, almost like humans. Oh, well, really, they are. I yeah, mean, I mean, are. like they, they they struggle with each other exactly. for yeah. territory I mean, trees, and um, trees do like a, amazing things right before our eyes. I mean, what I think is fascinating. Um, uh, in layman's terms, again, like trees, um, the water absorbing roots on a tree, they're located like in the 6 to 12 inches beneath the, s- the soil. So these uh, roots, they pull the water in the trunk of the tree and they actually stores it. And whenever there's a drought, 
the tree basically lets the water back out into the soil so that the water absorbing roots can pull it up. Exactly. So, I mean, wow. if you think about it, um, you know, like, like even flowers or whatever and grass, when there's a drought, you know, they die. But trees, like I say, they pull the water in and they, you know, they turn it back out. You know, uh, here's a question for you. Um, sometimes I'll have, like in the front of my house, I have two um, sweet olive trees. Mm-hmm. I love sweet olive for the fragrance in the fall and the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, one is doing just great, and the other is not more than four feet away from it, five feet away, and mm-hmm. it is dying. I just don't understand. So what's going on there? Well, first you have to look at the root area. You have to see how much um, space you have. Um, um, you have to make sure it's equal on both sides if you want to compare why one tree is growing and one the other. You have to make sure you don't have anything on top of the soil, like heavy stones, etc., because you're going to have soil compaction or whatever. And you also have to make sure that you have the, the, the same um, soil, you know, like on one side, you know, due to the storm, uh, Katrina. I'm not sure if any of that, fr- that front area got wet, but a lot of the healthy soil, it washed away and left like a sand, which is similar to like a silt. And if, even if, it's, if that happened, well, that particular soil, is, it isn't going to hold the water. It doesn't have the same amount of um, air pockets and molecule in it. So there's a number of factors that that can, um, you know, that could be that could be a factor for us because I noticed that um, every time we have a big rain, a lot of water washes off into the street. Where as I would expect my garden to absorb it, it seems like it just washes off, and it seems to me like my the ground a lot, especially in the front, is compacting. Exactly. Well, I mean, in that case, you either have to either elevate it. I mean, elevation would be the the proper thing, either uh, elevated or some underground like irrigation or whatever, just to kind of make that soil healthy again. Because again, like humans, like I said, you know, they had that's oxygen in the dirt, and just over years, sometimes I mean, even pets, sometimes if pets roam back and forth on the soil, it'll press it where it's compacted or whatever, and just you know, it, it, it'll compact the, um, the oxygen, the water pocket, I mean, the air pockets in the um, in the soil. You see how much this guy knows. I mean, he is really one of the experts in in my life and has been a part. We've been working together for how long? Since 2005. (laughs) A lot of years. And and you went to John McDonough High School, which is right next door to me, right? Yes. Yes. I'm I'm glad to say I'm one of the good products as opposed to um, the reports that Oprah Winfrey has done, like the schools that just – That was a travesty. Exactly. That was – that she did not – oversee that the way she should have that was a sensationalized story by the producers of it i was very much involved with that i was really angry about that and they took this one young man by the way who they portrayed as being totally off the line that kid um was a is a terrific artist right and we actually in a program that my organization does we worked with him to develop his art. He sells his art for a plan. You know, yeah. And so they really did not portray exactly. him. Exactly. He was having a fit at one time in the hall. The hall people weren't dealing with him right. And, you know, sometimes there's just circumstances that affect it, and they, they just blew yeah, it up. Like they blew it up. And just selling, um, you know. Um, yeah, airtime. Exactly. That's basically what it boils down to. That was to. sad. You know, was but really until unless they, um, I mean, every student is interviewed, from the time John Mac opened until you know now, or whatever they, they they can't just give a um, 
you know, accurate account of, uh, you know, student behavior. Yeah. Really and I'm sorry John McDonough has gone from there, and I know they're going to put in a good school, but it's going to be a primary school, yes. and I liked having the high school kids nearby. Exactly. I did. I really did. Well, listen, we're going to have you back um, okay. as time goes on. So as, as we get closer into the summer, uh-huh. um, I'll bring you back in, and we'll talk about pre- preparations for the summer. And um, I look forward to um, all your great advice. This is this is Vernon McKay, discount one tree counting, uh, tree cutting rather. You see, I got all mixed up there because yeah. I had interference off the side here. Um, so Vernon McKay, discount one tree cutting. Vernon, what's your phone number? Five zero four three three one five eight six one. Do it again. Five zero four three three one five eight six one. He is. Really, really terrific. He doesn't charge um, out the kazoo, and he does great work. Thank you, Vernon, so much for being with us today. I am talking with former Mayor Moon Landrieu. Um, According to my own observations and factual observations, one of the best mayors in American history. And I mean that sincerely, even well, though thank you. even fine. though he was a pain in the neck for me when I was a reporter. Thank you. A lot of reporters said that. Um, Moon, you must have had a tremendous sense of achievement at the uh, inauguration yesterday for both your eight years and your son's eight years, 16 years of Landry's in office in New Orleans that are the precedent, basically, for the... Um, moment that we were experiencing yesterday with a new woman mayor. Well, it was uh, a mixed experience for me. Uh, It was wonderful to look back and see that we have served and we've had our good times and our bad times. But it's also nice to look and see where the city is compared to where it was uh, when I first took office. Not that we changed it individually. It's just that change is always constant, and you take advantage of it and stay ahead of the curve. And I think Mitchell served very well. I mean, he's he he can get his blame for this or that and the other. That's just the nature of the business. Uh, people, the average person who has never served in this capacity has no idea of the stress uh, that it that is on to you every day. Uh, it's so personal to you. Yeah. It's not distant. It's not as if you were governing from Washington or, or Baton Rouge. I'm not saying those aren't terribly important jobs, but they're not so personal as a city, whether it's a large city or a small city. So, and I think Mitch has done a great job, and I'm I'm happy for him that his term has ended. <laughs> he can get on with a normal life and look back and and see what he's done well and what he hasn't done and take a joy in the fact that he's uh, obviously has served well overall. So that actually was one of my questions. Of all of your achievements, uh, which are you most proud of? And, well, well, I'll ask a second question. I want to ask about what you would recommend for the new mayor, but let's first deal with um, what what are you most proud of that you achieved? Well, first of all, I, I think beyond a question, the integration of the city uh, was so necessary to do. Uh, There's a plaque outside now that Mitchell has put up for everyone to see uh, on the moonwalk, and it deals with slave trade. And when one realizes the 
history of this city from the beginning, from its beginning, for 150 years, and then another 100 years of Jim Crow. You go through slavery and Jim Crow, and and it, the impact it's had on this city in terms of the, the differences in income, the differences in living standards uh, that you see, they're not, they're not due to anything immediately. It's just that the history of it leads you to where you are. So that unquestionably. Now, there were a lot of other things that we did, I think, that, that don't receive recognition, and, and properly so. They're just part of functioning the government. But we altered the pension systems for the police and the firemen at the time. They were way out of whack. Uh, we developed and took a great interest in developing the riverfront. The French Quarter at one time, while it's always been a historic place, was really in the pit, so to speak. And you couldn't see the river, you couldn't see the lake. The French market was just, just outdated. And along came supermarkets, along came the interstate highway system. And so we finally overcame or met that challenge, and we opened the riverfront, the riverfront to uh, everybody to see, not only in Jackson Square, but if you take a look at the whole river all the way to Audubon Park, you can see what a difference it makes if you knew what it looked like before. And that's a very significant achievement. And then, of course, we did the Dome Stadium, the president, the mayor, that the, the governor at the time asked me to undertake it. Dave Dixon's do all the credit in the world for a dome having been built because he envisioned the idea. But Dave's idea was to build a football stadium in New Orleans East. And we ended up building a stadium downtown which helped reactivate that whole oh, area downtown, sure. of the CBD. There's no question about it. So that's a, those are achievements I look back on with a degree of pride. I, I'm familiar with all of them, and I totally agree. And let me just ask you, what would you recommend? Because, you know, Ms. Verna said I have only five minutes. So um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my final question, what would you advise the new mayor as she launches on her term of office? Well, first of all, I wish you the best. And I served with her. Both of us were on the board of uh, Broadmoor Civic Association at the time Katrina came. And I am very happy for her. I think she's going to do a fine job. My recommendation to her is, and my advice to her is, that you don't do it by yourself, which I think she knows. She's expressed this many times. You need to surround yourself with people who are committed, who have vision, who have a, an understanding of where the city was and where it's going, and uh, to build on what was good in the past and what was not good, get rid of it. Move forward, step out. Uh, the world is forever changing, and you just have to stay ahead of the curve. I think that both you and Mitch um, did exactly what you just said. You, you went out and uh, took the steps that were needed to achieve change. And I think that's why people elected her, is they sense that she has that same kind of you know, step forward and make it happen. Well, I think she does. And the fact that, believe me, after 300 years, we've elected the first woman. 
my wife couldn't be more pleased, and I couldn't be more pleased. But there's an old saying that uh, Bobby Kennedy often used that I helped guide me, and it was that most people see things they are as they are and don't ask why. I see things that could be and ask why not. And it's a great idea of looking at what you're confronted with and what you've inherited and picking the good things that are there and building on them and getting rid of those that are not and moving forward with new ideas. Thank you so much, Moon. Well, We're now at eight minutes and Verna's going to kill me. Thank you. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to be with you. Thank, thank you. you. So I'm sitting out at Crevasse 22 River House, the sculpture garden and museum, uh, in Poitras, Louisiana, where some of the top champion wildfowl carvers of the nation are here with me. Um, they have been exhibiting their carved um, primarily ducks uh, for several months now, and uh, we'll get them back, uh, and we will still have quite a few on view, so I want you to come out and see them. Introduce each of them by name. They're going to introduce themselves, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the um, uh, incredible art of, of carving. Uh, hi, I'm Mike Bonner. I'm New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm 62 years old, and uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hi, I'm Dickie Otien from Marrero, Louisiana. I'm 74 and still doing this as long as my eyes work. <laughs> Hi, Richard Reeves from Covington, Louisiana, 73, and uh, I've been doing this for 40-some-odd 40, 40 years, I guess. Wow, wow. And um, were all of you originally St. Bernard folks before the storm, or you, no. you've been no. around? I, I was, I was uh, raised, born and raised in uh, uh, Chalmette. In Chalmette, mm -hmm. okay. All right, well, I, I want to start at the beginning, kind of, um, how did you all get interested in doing this in the first place? Uh, my father was also a, a carver and artist, and uh, and I was around it since I was sitting on his knee, uh, four or five years old. They say the first word I spoke was not mom or dad, but was bufflehead, which is a species of duck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sets the pace. Well, when I was in my late 20s, a friend of ours lived in southwest Louisiana in Eunice, and her dad had a couple of ducks, one a wood duck I can remember, and a mallard that was carved by a local guy and I always was interested since that day and about two, 18 years ago I found a friend of mine advertising a newspaper at the uh, at a local uh, uh, Terrytown playground which is uh, a parish owned uh, facility on in, Mar uh, in Gretna, Louisiana and I went there and I've been ever since <laughs> then I found Mike about uh, 10 years ago nine years ago and he's yes, been teaching. He's been teaching since then. Hmm. And that was Dickie and now Richard. Yeah, I uh, I was looking for a hobby, just a stress relief, and and uh, somebody told me about the Louisiana Wildfowl Carvers Guild, and they had a show in New Orleans, and uh, one of their probably maybe fourth or fifth show or something like that, and I'd gone to it, and I said this is the hobby for me, and Why? I took that. 
because it, it is very stress relieving. It, it uh, requires all of your attention to, to do the work. And one of, the, one of the things that I like about it, um, just the enjoyment of doing something with your hand, creating something, and creating something that will last through the future that you can give to your children, children, grandchildren. And uh, I'd been carving just for just a couple of years, and, and I met Mike and uh, went, took lessons from Mike, and uh, I got hooked on the whole thing. <laughs> also, I think we must mention the birds. Birds are just amazing, amazing creatures, and they're so diverse, and there's so many different species and so many different habits, and you can you can learn something new about birds every day for the rest of your life, and you'll still not know uh, half of what there is to learn. It's just such an endless, uh, interesting uh, uh, hobby and a, and a profession and a, and a pursuit. You know, we had a birding uh, trail out here uh, last weekend um, when the uh, birding festival was on at uh, um, at the uh, Los Islenos Center. And um, we saw some amazingly beautiful birds. And we had one woman with us, Carolyn Summers, who's a ph- terrific photographer. And she really captured a scarlet tanager, a pro... Prothonotary warbler. Thank you. I figured you would know how to finish that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I agree with you. Birds are just incredible. And I think that we can always learn more about our own species from other species, right? Yeah. They're so free, and they can do and go wherever they want. I've just I've been mesmerized by birds since ever since I can remember, and I can spend all day long still to this day just just reading about birds and watching birds and learning about birds and there's nothing else I would rather do. Uh, my carving has been an excuse to pursue um, the, study of the, the, birds. the study of birds. So, so are you as worried about the birds as some folks? There, you know, one of the statistics I heard is that uh, almost we've lost almost half of the migratory birds. Is that Mother some? Nature will win in the end. Um, we are just here for a little bit, and uh, we might do some drastic uh, semi-permanent changes, but in the end, in the long run, the birds and the animals and the cockroaches, and they will prevail. We're, we're not as successful of a species as we think we are. I, I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope you're right. How do you feel but about I, that? But I hope it's a long ways off before <laughs> before they take over. Now, one, one, of the, one of the great things about carving for me is just the people you meet. I mean, we, we go to shows all over the country and meet people from all over the world. Uh, we just got back from a show in Maryland, and they, I think uh, like 20 different countries were represented. And uh, some amazing work, and it, just the people are just uh, fantastic. I mean, everybody's interested in the same thing. We could sit and talk for hours and hours about your carvings and about the birds. And uh, that's... It, it's a great hobby. It's a shame that that we're uh, that younger kids aren't aren't uh, taking it up. Yeah, I, I think one of you was saying that you know the, the younger kids are more obsessed with their little devices and and video, um, uh, but hopefully maybe it'll come back around. Uh, I okay. hope for there'll probably be something else to take its place. <laughs> Uh, I would hope that would be the case. It's kind of it's kind of hard to find kids nowadays. I think I, I don't know of anybody. Well, I say there might be one teacher in South Louisiana that might be have any kids. Uh, 
studying. class, yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, so like Michael say, we have uh, Louisiana Wildfire Carver's uh, show is in October in Mandeville, the first weekend in October every year. And we do, we have a lot of students come in with artwork and uh, try to do the little carving demonstrations with them, trying to get some interest in there. And because we have carvers come from all over the United States and Canada comes to our show. Uh, we give $40,000 in prize money at our show for the weekend, uh, usually on a Saturday and Sunday. Hmm. And uh, there's beautiful, beautiful carvings. And we have a, a photography and a uh, flat art contest also. So you were saying that there are uh, carvers all over the world. How would you describe the difference in the work from, say, the United States to a different country? Is there anywhere that has a particular style or pattern that... And, and then my second question is going to be, you know, what do you talk about for hours? <laughs> <laughs> who has the who has the best work? But we're all trying to achieve uh, to dupl- duplicate uh, Mother Nature, we can't, which can't be done. But so there, there are some variances, styles, and there's always a style. But everybody's working for the same thing to get to get a lifelike creation, and uh, it's uh, we just talk about. Uh, how well we've done or how poorly we've done and what we can do next time and, and admire other people's work and just encourage each other and uh, learn from each other. Teach each other techniques? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing about that's one thing about the people in this uh, hobby or in organization is that everyone's willing to help somebody else. They're always willing to show what you know. Uh, we've gone to Southeastern several times to the arts classes and try to get them encouraged uh, uh, in, in start carving so you know we, we're getting old but we still want to help someone else to learn to take up the hobby and, and take over from us mm-hmm. it's getting harder and harder to find though i want to know about i don't know if you can explain this to me but of course when i look at the ducks they are so finely carved that you would tend to think that they were real feathers on them because they're so fine and I, can you give me any hint at all about how you do that? Very cautiously. <laughs> it takes, it to, one, each one of those ducks took at least, I would say, four months minimum to carve. So, and so it's just, you can't just, get a kid to watch something for four minutes. No. no. That's the problem. Right. right. Yeah. And especially it takes longer for me because I'm not retired. I'm semi-retired. And... Uh, what he can do in four months might take me eight, nine months, ten yeah. months to do. Yeah, to really care <laughs> yeah, about it, right. to keep on going. Yeah. They're just so beautiful. They really are. Um, I, I, I feel like maybe some of the art crafts, uh, craft producers, the craft uh, crafters, I'm not sure what the right term is here, um, will possibly be interested. So it may not be a question so much of finding the youth who are so obsessed with their devices, which, by the way, I think that will change. Uh, sooner yeah. or later, people get tired of whatever it is, and they move on to something else, especially if they're not really producing it themselves. So, um, as you say, make doing the work is so engaging and mm-hmm. uh, takes you out of right. the rest of the part of your life yeah. that is... Um, you know, out of your control and stressful. I think one of the things is that it's under your control. You're, these mm-hmm. ducks are in your hands for the whole time you're working on them. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes, right. Well um, 
Okay, so tell me about your next shows. It's uh, you're going to have some work up at Ashna Hospital. We get, yeah, we, yeah. Get, we we put some work in in Ashna. Mm-hmm. Uh, for to sell and, and to let people see what we do, and we're going to give demonstrations up there. But our main show is going to be the first week, weekend of October. It's going to be in Mandeville, and we'll have, like Dickie said, probably maybe 30 different states represented at our show. Uh, so we'll have people from all over the country, and uh, we will have uh, children. We'll have. Paintings from different sc- paintings from uh, school children from different schools in, uh, in the area, so that's something we're working for uh, working towards now. So, yeah. like you said, Boy Scouts will be there. Um, forty, we have forty some odd thousand dollars worth of prize money. Um, it's going to be at the casting center, like Richard says, in Mandeville, uh, and uh, it's, it'll be our forty what forty third, forty fourth, forty fifth. Yeah, it's for, I think it's. I think it's going to be the, the 40th show, but it's like the 44th year we we were in existence. We missed a couple of years with Katrina. Katrina, we missed oh, a couple Katrina. of years, and then when, we missed last Katrina year. When Katrina hit the club's board, which is roughly 20 people on the board, I think of the 20 people that were on the board of directors for Louisiana Wildfowl Carvers and Collectors Guild, I think 15, 16 of them lost their homes in Katrina. So. Wow. So we wow. had a couple, two, three years where we didn't have the show before we got the club back together and had the show again. Okay, well, as we wrap up, I want to ask you to just reel off the names of all the different dogs. That, I keep saying that because I'm such a dog person. Uh, all the different uh, ducks that you that you do. So just reel off the names. Uh, it would take more than a few minutes. Well, do um, a few. Mallard, Pintail, Blueing Teal, Greenwing Teal, Cinnamon Teal, Golden Eye, um, Megan, red-breasted meganser, American megansers, common megansers, uh, putter megansers, old squaws. Um, well, now it's called the long-tailed duck. You can't call it old squaw anymore. Uh, um, be politically correct. Um, what am I missing? Fulvous tree ducks. Fulvous tree ducks. Wood ducks. Um, there's 25 or 30 species of ducks in North America, and plus there's there's hundreds of species all around the world. We carve all of it, and, and then not just ducks. You've got the songbirds, all the robins and the warblers and the, and the mockingbirds and the kingfishers and owls and all. Hawks and hawks, birds, all birds. I, I could sit here and name different birds and different species for until it got dark and the mosquitoes carried us off. So. <laughs> I'm between, gonna let the- between the three of us, we probably called well over a thousand different uh, species of wildfowl. Wow. So. And we've just barely scratched the surface. Yeah, right. You know, just barely scratched. Guys, thank you for doing this because mm-hmm. it is just such a a treat and a privilege to see your work and um, thank you for allowing us to show it here at the River House. Well, we would all we would like to thank you and we, we appreciate uh, showing our work and having people appreciate it and exposing people to it and and you never know when that young kid's going to see it and say I want to do that and it and it only takes a few, you know. All of them don't have to do it, but it only takes one here or there. And I certainly haven't given up hope that, uh, like you say, they might get their head out of their video games for a little while and, and decide, you know, there's more out there than just what they see on the screen. Especially when it's about creating 
things and, and beautiful things. I mean, that, that really brings people around. So once again, we have Mike Bonner. We have Dickie, Dickie Otan, Otan, and we have Richard Reeves, master duck carvers, and um, it's a treat to know you guys and to have seen your work. Thank you very, very much. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. This is Gene Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations coming to an end on WBOK, and I will visit with you again next week. <laughs>